our pediatrician nightmares are made up of things like trampolines and swimming pools and bicycle rides without helmets. We are a wild and raucous bunch. Just ask our children. And so I kept telling them, well, we're so busy. Your dog needs love and attention in their house. We're so busy. We're, we're never home. We can't adopt a dog. And then the pandemic hit. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I am Jessica Hankin. And I'm Laura Wexler. And then this week on the podcast, Reemergence. Two tales about finding your way back after a journey full of twists and turns, which we all have been through this past year and some change. These stories were part of an outdoor show held on the lovely grounds of the Ivy Bookshop in Baltimore. Special thanks to the Ivy and Men Acupuncture for making that show happen. So before we get started... Yes, before we get started, we want to thank Park School, an independent co-ed progressive pre-K through grade 12 school located on a campus just minutes from Baltimore. So this first story is by Dr. Julie King, who actually is Jessica's pediatrician. So I'm going to let her take it from here. Well, she's my pediatrician. She also uh, happened to purchase uh, the first house that my husband and I bought. She bought it with her husband when she came to Baltimore to go to med school at Hopkins. So then, you know, some years later, she becomes an excellent pediatrician. So Green Spring Pavilion, shout out to you. Um, And so this is a story of how she had to filter the um, pandemic that we all just experienced through the lens of being both a pediatrician and a mom. Take a listen. So as Jessica said, I'm a pediatrician, and um, part of what our job is is to imagine the small chance of something bad happening to children and um, trying to prevent that. And so our pediatrician nightmares are made up of things like trampolines and swimming pools and bicycle rides without helmets. We are a wild and raucous bunch. Just ask our children. Um, having children myself made this sort of predisposition to worry even more exacerbated. Um, I think really when my, my first child was born, I think the second thought I had, the first one being, oh my gosh, I love this little guy so much was, and now there is literally no end to the things I can worry about. I didn't know at that time that we would all add a global pandemic to the list, but so it was, you know, I have some young patients who tell me that on their birthdays, their parents grant them yes days, where whatever they ask for, they get. Well, this was my year of no. I had patient families calling me, asking me all kinds of very reasonable requests, like, can my parents visit my, with my newborn? Nope. Can I go to my niece's wedding? Nope. Can my child have a graduation party. Nope, 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 nope. It was a long string of notes. Um, I spent the first part of the pandemic in a near perpetual state of panic. I think I spent a lot of nights up reading what felt like the entire internet, trying to learn as much as I could about the the virus and um, mapping it, coming, you know, coming to the West Coast and then the East Coast and 
I found myself literally waking up from nightmares in which I would be standing below a cresting wave trying to hold things up. And um, at that time, a lot of my friends and family, this is March of 2020, were planning trips for spring break to Florida and California and New York. And reasonably, people didn't quite understand at that point what the ramifications were, being, were going to be. So people were literally thinking about taking these trips. And I was terrified. And so I scribbled out this sort of screed on my computer about how we had to all kind of forego our personal freedoms for the greater good. And I, I sent it to friends and family far and wide. I was a real blast to be around that time. Um, but, you know, as we all, I think, realized, the year of no had its own uh, toll. And I could start to see it in my own family. I could see it with my children. And I could see it with my um, 83-year-old mother who was living in Ohio. And, you know, she'd had this previously a very full social life, you know, book clubs, bridge clubs, lunches with her friends. And as I talked to her over the time, it was as if I could feel the walls of her life just getting smaller and smaller. I remember thinking her voice even sounds softer to me. Her memory was starting to go. And at a, and at a certain point, once I realized that by the next spring break, March of 2021, she would be fully vaccinated and my husband and I would be fully vaccinated, I had to turn off the year of no, and I did something that, you know, my better mind told me not to do, but I um, booked a house in southwest Florida, in Naples, Florida, to go for spring break. And Naples had already, had always sort of held for my family and for me a, a place as, a, a wonderful place for us to relax. No matter how stressful things were, it was a really peaceful place, and I think I was really trying to capture some of, some of that by going, but of course, you know, wherever you go, there was the pandemic. Although I think there were a good number of Southwest Floridians who didn't, didn't feel the same way. But um, we got there and I'd like to say that I totally relaxed, but I didn't. And, um, but I had a, a few moments. One was we were swimming out back in the, the pool out behind the house and I was with my daughter and I was doing that thing where, you know, you swim weightless and you let your daughter carry you. And I was pretending to be her baby and, you know, my fake baby babble. And we were both just laughing so hard. Tears were streaming down our faces. And she, she looked at me and she's always able to sort of nail the moment. And she said, uh, Mommy, does it feel good to feel like a kid again? And I thought, yeah, it does. And it occurred to me that no one, not even the kids, had felt like kids this year. So later that night, that same daughter asked me to go tandem parasailing with her. Now, I have to tell you that even in my best, bravest, most non-pandemic self, that would be a hard pass. I can imagine every way that that could go catastrophically wrong. It's like a superpower that I have. And for some reason, and I don't usually parent like this, but I tried to be the parent that I felt like she needed me to be at that moment. So I agreed to it. And the morning we woke up and we were supposed to go parasailing, the weather was like tempestuous. It was windy and the waves were crashing and like the, you know, really young strapping guys who were going to take us out on the boat called to say, we can't go from the shore. We have to go to the dock. I took this as an opportunity to negotiate with them all the reasons why we need to cancel it. 
and they, they wouldn't have it. The only thing that I got out of that negotiation was that they would let me keep my sneakers on while we parasailed, which I have no idea why I thought that met, would help me, but it seemed important at the time. And so we're there. We go out on the boat. Um, I'm just terrified. And as they lift off, um, I was filled with this emotion that had only been described to me. I'd never experienced it, where I was so terrified that I actually started irrationally laughing and crying, tears streaming down my face. And, and my daughter Alice and I get up to cruising altitude, and I'm like clawing our harness. We're both kind of clawing our harnesses. She's much more relaxed than I am. And it gets very quiet up there. And, um, sh- and the guys down below are like, you guys can let go of your harnesses. You can let go. And I'm trying to relax. And then Alice says to me, hey, Mommy, look. That one rope, it must be so strong to keep us aloft here. (laughs) And my first thought was, oh my God, that's exactly what I don't want to be thinking about. And then I thought, she actually nailed the moment again, that it was precisely what we were doing. It was a perfect metaphor, despite the risks. We were banking on the things that keep us together to keep us aloft. Thanks. You know, I think it's very hard for physicians, especially, to speak honestly about not knowing everything and being vulnerable and, and, and just, um, that's, that's a tricky place for many physicians that I've encountered in my life to, to really go to. And she just was so authentic and so, so open to, to sharing that with, with everyone that night. It was, um, it was just a really cathartic experience for herself and I think for us. Yeah, and I really um, related to, you know, just her quest to read the entire internet to figure out like, you know, what was gonna happen when this impending storm moved, moved to the US and um, just how much of other people's anxiety she would have to absorb being a doctor during this time, you know, especially a pediatrician. So um, before we get to our next story of reemergence, we want to thank Mend Acupuncture, which offers enjoyable and low stress acupuncture sessions in the Baltimore area starting at $35. They have locations in Remington and Quarry Lake. So check them out. So our next storyteller, Priscilla Morales, um, she, uh, well, her Twitter bio sums her up perfectly. She's an educator, a diversity practitioner, a Latin American history enthusiast. She's a wife and mommy. She's heavily invested in all things Hello Kitty, sneakers, hip hop, race, Puerto Rico, DR, and good food. Um, oversized tiered dresses have recently been added to the list as well as, and, and you'll learn through the story, she's becoming an, an amateur uh, dog hunter. So take a listen and learn more about Priscilla. So this month marks five years that my family has been living here in Baltimore. We moved here from Connecticut. We're New Yorkers, but we moved here from Connecticut. And upon our arrival here in Baltimore, my two kids who are 13 and 10, they rallied hard for us to adopt a dog. And I said, absolutely not. Um, I have enough little people in this house. We're not dealing with another 
little thing. Um, and it's not that I don't like dogs. It's actually, we, my husband and I, my husband Joe and I had a dog for many years. We adopted uh, Daphne two days after 9-11. Her human uh, died in 9-11. And although she was a, a companion to my widowed mom for the last couple of years, her death right before we moved to Baltimore really impacted me. You know, I knew what it was like to have a dog, to love a dog, and to lose a dog. And I wanted to protect my kids from that sadness of losing a dog, and maybe I wanted to protect myself. And so I kept telling them, well, we're so busy. A dog needs love and attention in their house. We're so busy. We're, We're never home. We can't adopt a dog. And then the pandemic hit. And I think about two and a half weeks into the stay-at-home order, my kids were like, we're getting a dog. We are home all the time. And so my husband and I relented, and like two days before school started, uh, we adopted a dog. A little fur of black with this really long tail. And I decided that was going to be their dog, right? They were going to be responsible for the dog. This is not my dog. Um, and so they named her Kiki after some video game character, and Kiki was the worst puppy. Ate everything, ate all the wood, all the plastic, all things that are not food. Uh, she bit us for sport and uh, was really terrible, and also super lovely and cuddly and would sleep curled behind my knee um, every night. So fast forward to March, and we were experiencing here in Baltimore, if you remember in March, um, a couple weekends of really intense winds, really strong winds. And then this one Friday afternoon, this really, really strong wind came and blew open our back door, and Kiki went running. Uh, She cleared Charles Village, she cleared Hopkins Campus, she uh, cleared Jewett Hill Park. And that night, um, I was so devastated. I couldn't even go upstairs to our room because I knew Kiki wasn't going to be there waiting for me. And the next morning, I got a couple of messages of sightings in Hamden and North Ave, um, but this one woman uh, called me. Uh, She'd seen my post on Nextdoor, and she said, I just saw your dog. She was running along 83 South, and by the North Avenue exit, she jumped and landed by the tracks below. And this kind of started this routine, this daily routine of mine, where every morning I would wake up, I would check shadow app for new pictures of of found pets. I would cry if the weather was anything less than perfect. I would dive into work each day. Work was the most joyful distraction for me. I would text three people every single day, my sister in New York City, my good friend Melissa here tonight, and my good friend Marie in New Orleans, three women who probably worked harder than we did in trying to find them, find Kiki. And when the workday was done and my kids were in bed, I would check every social media page, every shelter found page. I just recently admitted to my husband that I would call shelters as far west as Arizona and as far north as Vermont. And I called about every animal. If it was black with a white stripe, and it matter if it was a cat or a skunk, I was calling, please scan for the chip, please do it. And I would cry myself to sleep and the cycle would start all over again. And I would say the city of Baltimore rallied behind Kiki. My husband and I saw posters in places we had never placed them. Kiki went super viral on social media. I mean, everyone, I felt like everyone was looking for her. 
And on every Friday, since she went missing on a Friday, that became kind of my weekly marker. And I would write a public post, and if you were connected to me at all, you might have seen these. And it was her flyer. With an outpouring of my heart. And how much my family missed her. And how much I missed her. And I was just holding on to so much hope that she would come back. And at the six-week mark, I wrote my post. And I wondered, am I foolish for holding on to hope this long? Did I not love her enough for her not to run away? Did I not love her enough for her to make her way back? And that weekend, Mother's Day weekend, was really hard. And after a couple of rosés, I cried a lot. And my husband, who was really worried about my level of sadness, said to me, we need to help you find closure. I think it's time we pack up her things and maybe find a way for you to feel closure. And that Monday, that 45th day of her being missing, I went to work having done a mental inventory of all of the things that we were going to pack that night. Her crate the really expensive dog bed she never slept in, the pink dinosaur I bought her a couple days before she went missing. And I was diving into work, as I usually do, and I was in the middle of a meeting when I received a text message. I think I saw your dog. And I was getting ready for the next message, which was usually, you know, how much is the reward? Except this time, the next message was two pictures kind of aerial shots with a little black line and I zoomed in and I could see this really long tail and I sent it to my husband Joe my sister in New York Melissa and Marie and I said this is Kiki right and they're like that's Kiki go and that's how I found myself on a Monday afternoon under 83 South where she was last seen six weeks before with a half-eaten croissant that my son left in the car, trying to use it to get Kiki. Melissa's husband came running. Joe was out there looking. I was on the phone with the dog whisperer who was going to get our dog back. And I could hear something, kind of a rustle of, of leaves. And Joe, who had gone deeper in the woods, my husband Joe had gone deeper in the woods, came out from these bushes and the first thing I noticed was that he was crying he was crying the hardest I've ever seen him cry in the 20 years we've been together and then the next thing I noticed was that he was holding Kiki and so Kiki's home she's back to eating everything she's back to biting us for sport And she's back to sleeping, curled right behind my knees. And every night, kind of in the middle of the night, she wakes up and she licks me in the face. And we look at each other. And I think she's thinking exactly what I'm thinking. You're here. Thank you. So yeah, there was not a dry eye in the 
audience when she shared this yeah. story. Uh, it was the last story of the night. It was the first show we had done at, since the pandemic and first show with people around. And um, boy, did everyone, like you could feel just the, the gasp and worried pause from the audience when she said that her husband came out with Kiki in his arms, because I realized at that moment, like, oh, they don't know if Kiki's alive or dead. And, and I knew that Kiki was alive. Um, and I don't think Priscilla did that on purpose. I think it was just how she told the story. Yeah, how she experienced but, it. Oh my yeah. God, had, that, had Kiki not survived, I, I don't, I think our audience would have just been like, you know, what's the point of life? Yeah, no, <laughs> no, I don't think we could not, no, we, no, we, would we never could that. not have had that story. Yeah, yeah, no. Oh, um, it was such a beautiful moment. And everyone was so happy, you know, living vicariously through Priscilla and oh, and yeah. learning that, you know, Kiki is, and I see now pictures of Kiki and Priscilla, like every day, just cuddled up together in, in their cozy house. It's such a win that everyone needed that night. Well, and what I love about that story is just like the idea of this group of citizens, like on the trail of this dog, like the, the detective aspect of it and the chase, you know, it, to me, it introduced like this subculture of like pet finders, you know, yeah. and I, as a new pet owner, I don't have any experience with that and hopefully never will, but it was really cool to know there was these super dedicated slash obsessed people out there, you know, on the trail of these missing pets. Yeah, and also I think what I really loved, although she didn't go into it as heavily at the show, was she's from the, she's from New York City, um, from the Bronx, and she, God, I think she's from the Bronx. Priscilla, if you're listening to this and I got that wrong, I'm really sorry, but I, from, the, from New York City. And she was so positive about Baltimore. And just saying how much Baltimore showed up to support her family and and how many people were invested in in finding Kiki and so that was I think really nice to hear too. Always nice. What is also always nice is a visit to the wine source, one of our longtime podcast sponsors. They have wine, beer, snacks, and they are at on Elm Avenue in Hamden. Also, check out Golden West. Uh, that is also on the avenue, and it's a vegan forward menu with a late night carry out window, lots of good Southwestern food, tell them that we sent you. All right, well, uh, we wanna thank you for listening to another episode of the Stoop Podcast. Uh, if you could be so kind as to give us a review and um, if that review could be included five stars, it really, really helps just podcasts in general and it helps the world go round. If you don't have something positive to say, maybe don't leave a review. Uh, thanks to Maureen Harvey for producing. And really to you for listening. And we'll be back soon with more stories from the studio. Take a good